Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. An old man who was born in Yen, in China, in Yen, but he grew up in the town of Chu, decided to return to his native country. While he was passing through the state of Qin, his companions decided they would play a joke on him. Pointing to the city they were passing through of Qin, they said to him, this is the capital of Yen. And the old man composed himself and looked solemn. And they went inside the city, and inside the city, the companions pointed out a shrine. And they said, now this is the shrine of your quarter. Precincts, they call it a quarter. And he breathed a deep sigh. And they pointed out a little hut. And they said, this was your father's cottage. And tears welled up. And they pointed out a mound. And they said, this is your father's tomb. And now he was weeping aloud. And then his companions began to roar with laughter. Hmm? We are teasing you, they said. We are still only in Chin. We have not yet reached Yen. And the old man was very embarrassed. When he reached Yen and really saw the capital and the shrine of his quarter and his father's cottage and the tomb, he did not feel it so deeply. story in a way, isn't it? <clears throat> anyway, if you will explore, that is yourself, if you will explore yourself, one reaches a conclusion, one sees it, that this world that you see the world that you see is in you. The world as you see it is in your mind. You know, it's a very this this body is such a miraculous thing. Reality is all around us. We are reality. We don't see ourselves as reality. We see ourselves as a thing, as an object. Hmm? The livingness of us, we don't see. But this body and its livingness is so constituted that as the eyes make contact, with the reality, with reality, hmm? with the reality, with the reality. Hmm? Something happens within us. The mechanism that on the mind, in the mind, a picture appears. And this happens so quickly we never pay any attention to it. But there is a picture, a gestalt, as it were, of something that we look at. And what we do is we project the picture in here onto this here, and we call it by a name. Hmm? 
and we say that's the world. But it is the world as you see it. What you see is a projection. The mind projects. The mind is a screen. The mind projects. Hmm? So look at what you see. Then look at your feelings about it so that you can begin to differentiate the seeing from the feeling. We look at a flower and, you know, it's white. It has a fragrance. It appeals to me. So I can say it's beautiful. Maybe somebody else looking at the same flower would not say it was beautiful because they're projecting something else. Learn to differentiate what you see, what you think, and what you feel. These are three different categories going on within you all at the same time. And we should be able to look within ourselves and see each objectively. The projections of how you feel upon an object or upon another person. You know, you meet somebody strange and maybe uh, their hair is of a color, like uh, the girl that was down at the beauty shop here, and every week she had her hair a different color. Sometimes it was pink, sometimes it was orange, sometimes it was blue, and sometimes it was green, and sometimes it was her natural color almost. But, you know, and people <laughs> would, you know, look at her and say, well, now, what, what kind of an individual is this? She's got green hair. Hmm? So right away we feel something. You might feel about her entirely differently if she didn't have green hair. Hmm? No. Now, because of this, the way we function, the way this body operates, and the way this psyche is, you know, the Hindus say that this world is illusory. Because the world we see is us. You know, it's in the mind. So now comes the problem with somebody who really wants to know himself or herself. How can this illusory world be transcended? Hmm? How can you know the reality of this world instead of or in place of the illusory? Hmm. Now, if you... Very simple. If you really want to know... you. Usually, you know, I just stand up here and say, unlearn, 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 so that you're not caught in, in uh, the things you were taught as a child and still are carrying with you, right? So today I'm going to talk about learning, understanding. If you carefully observe yourself, you will come to see the illusory world. But it takes observation of yourself because this is where it is, the illusory world. Huh? Having seen that in yourself, it opens the door to reality. Hmm? Now, this world that we see out there, and quotes, single quotes, because it's not really out there, and it's not altogether in here either because there is something there. Huh? But it is called a phenomenal reality, after Immanuel Kant. Hmm? The noumenal reality, the reality that the senses don't report because it, it, it's moving too fast for the senses to cope with, which we're not all going to go into today. But the noumenal, what is really real, is hidden right there. We see it, but we project the phenomenon on top of it. Now, that's how close you are to reality, and you take your own body to do this, huh? Practice. Reality can be seen 
when the senses are not reporting hmm? and when the mind is not filled with thoughts about it and the ego is not filled with desires about it. Hmm. So we always say, you know, look directly, see directly. The immediate is here. We usually look with the mind between, the screen between. So we see our projection. The world as you see it is not out there. You have put it out there. There is a world present, but it is not out there. The world as you see it seems to be out there. See, I don't want to go too far off and we'll get all confused here in a minute. Now, the mind, when one sees the mind, and one sees the projections on the mind, on the screen, hmm? it's, so it's called mirror mind, it mirrors. When the one sees the mind, one perceives the mind within oneself, in this perception, it is called no mind because it is not a thinking mind. The world out there has disappeared, let us say, and here is this mind. And people think, you know, that if they're going to see no mind, or they talk, we talk about the void and all of these things. Nothingness, nirvana in Buddhism means blown out, and you know, all this. But it is not a blankness. It is not that kind of a nothingness. But what you have known of things and objects are perceived differently. They are in the total whole of mind. So that in observing or facing this mind, capital M, mind, not thinking mind, so it's no mind, huh? one is facing what sometimes is called the unknown. There is within us all a place of an unknown. And somehow we skirt this, you know, <laughs> this unknown we don't really want to face. But now, all of a sudden, this mind appears, and you're facing the unknown. Now, that's not such an awful experience, is it, for you to be fearful of it? No. So, when we are so involved with the world as we see it, and the world as projection, we do not perceive existence. We perceive things and objects. When the projection disappears, then existence is present. And existence in itself is magnificent. Hmm? In that dignity and magnificence, there is no projection and there is no projector. Mind mirrors. Observe this in yourself. When you observe this in yourself, you will have found the root of your misery and the root of your happiness. Hmm? Now, those who have seen without projection say, God is. Now, that just ends all that argument. Hmm? God is not a projection. God is reality. Is, is, is. God is not a concept in the mind. Everything you, everything you think you know about it, look at it and see whether it is for real or whether it is a concept. Hmm? And the reality 
of God we miss because we are so identified with concepts, with feelings, and so involved in our own projections. If for a moment, when you sit for meditation, huh, and you're looking within yourself, the projections shut off, all of a sudden no more, there's existence. There you are, really, and not unknown. Now, it was the Buddha who said, um, if you have desires, where is the truth? Uh, we learn many things in our lifetime. We have many experiences, and we stumble across something. We say, oh, yes, this is the truth. But look again. Has your desire colored you so that you can assume that this is the truth. When you are desireless, and you're not going to run around like this all the time, you know, but now you're sitting in meditation, and the desires are shut off, the projections are shut off, you are desireless. When you are not spiritually ambitious, which is a tremendous trap, hmm? when you are not moving to be first, when you are not moving to be the most accomplished, hmm? when you are simply being, hmm? you're totally still, totally quiet, and there it is, truth. Yeah. You know, words are very difficult. They're really, because, you know, we would say, you in reality are not two. But, you know, you in reality, how can you say that? Reality and reality doesn't make any sense. You're, you know, you are reality. Yeah. Reality we divide because we think. And this thinking, then, it stands in between. And this in between, the Hindus saying it's illusory, they call it maya. That's their word for it, maya. No mind in between, and all of a sudden, everything is revealed, as it is. It's mysteriously open. There's no more dividing line, and you are seeing directly. Now, however you think, whatever you think, however you are identified, however you are conditioned at this moment, with everything that you have, you're real. There is a reality. And, you know, in most religions, we hear of a trinity, right? In Christianity, we have the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the three faces of God. In the Buddhism, we have the um, Nirmanakaya, or the transforming body, there is the Sambhogyakaya, which is sometimes called the robe of completeness, uh, the state in which the phenomena is not. And finally, there is the Dharmakaya, which is called the absolute purity or the awakening in nirvana. Awakening and being blown out. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But it does. Yep. And then in the East, we also have uh, Atma Manas. <coughs> Uh, the uh, triple forms, or we can also speak of Brahm, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. Or then there is Agni, Vayu, and Surya of the Vedas. You know, Agni is the god of fire, Vayu is the god of air, and Surya is the sun. Now, these are all symbolical, huh? And then there is the three baskets, 
of which uh, the, the doctrine, you know, the rules and the regulations and the philosophical and the metaphysical aspects. Or we have the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha, you know, wisdom, laws, and those who follow the, the laws and the wisdom without going into any detail. I don't know whether you're interested in details of all of these things, but if you are, let me know, and maybe we can do something about it someday. Anyway, these are the three faces, or the three aspects, hmm? and they're one. Within that one, no object, no subject, it simply is. It is in its perfectness. So to begin to understand the unity of this one, we must begin to understand our illusory world. Uh, there was once a, um, a Sufi teacher, very famous, great Sufi teacher, and he was dying. And so one of his attendants asked him if he would say the last few words for his students. And he said, as his last words, one thing, man never learns. You know, and I keep saying, well, you know, unlearn, 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 which I think I mean disidentify. Really become an individual. Now, with all the experiences that you have had, have you disidentified yourself in them? Or we could say, in other words, what have you learned? Well, we can say, I learned not to do that again. Hmm? Well, the same situation may never uh, present itself again. But you go on to another situation. Are you playing the same game? Situation's different, but does the game remain the same? Now, for we can take an example, and I'm not referring to anyone here, but it is an example that I think we all have had some experience with. The individual falls in love. Man or woman falls in love. And in the first moments, the first few days, or maybe even the first week, <laughs> two weeks, you cannot conceive in any way of a moment coming along when this love would disappear. You cannot. No way is this love going to go away. You know, It's impossible to think of it. But let us say, and you know, we're only for instancing around here this morning. Hmm? Let's say that one day, all of a sudden, the man is fit up. He's reached, it goes, you know. Or with a woman, it goes, huh? The dream goes. The desire goes. Now, looking back, we saw at the beginning that if you had never had the fulfillment of this desire, you would have cried and wept and anguished all over the place. And now the moment has come when all you want is to escape. Yeah. How happily, at one time, thinking of being the lover. Oh, the fantasies and the dreams and, oh, such beautiful thoughts we have. Well, we do, huh? Sure. Yeah. And situations shatter the dream. And now he wants to be rid of her, she wants to be rid of him. Have they learned anything? Sooner or later, they fall in love again. Sooner or later. And I don't care if you're 90. Sooner or later, you fall in love again. <laughs> huh? If you have the opportunity. Right. Huh? And the same thing happens. It just repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself. Unless you take yourself in hand and you work at that relationship, it will go. So in that relationship, 
in one of them somewhere along the line, and we've all been teenagers, and we've had our share, what did you learn about yourself? That's the name of the game. Yep. If you don't use the situation out of which you have just come and take yourself in hand, how are you going to mature? If you don't learn from it, you're going to repeat over and over and over and over. If you begin to observe yourself, you will break that circle. You will start seeing your own patterns of how you act and how your mind functions. First in love and then fed up and then again in love and then fed up and around and around and around and around. And it's almost as if some people, you know, their whole life depends on this. Yeah? You know, if you understand yourself, if you know you disidentify a little bit, suddenly one day the very understanding of all this nonsense brings you out of it. Nothing has to be done. All you have to do is understand yourself. People say, you know, that we learn through life. Well, have you ever watched situations come, situations go, situations come, situations go? Hmm? Some of them you identified very much with, and some of them you didn't. But move. Huh? Move with the experiences. Have your experiences. You know, there's no life without them. Hmm? It's nature's method of bringing us to maturity. Hmm? So don't be afraid of experiences. But understand yourself in them. You are what is meaningful and of value. Don't just move from one situation to another, one situation. That's not enough. No. Traveling isn't the answer, you know. Huh? And, you know, when, when we move, you know, just going and going and round and around, you know, it's rather unconscious. And you're traveling and you're digging a very deep groove of the habit patterns, and so you become an unconscious robot. And you're very predictable then. Huh? You can watch yourself and you know exactly what you're going to do. And others very close to you know exactly what you're going to do in given situations. How else? You just follow a habit pattern. And then because they get tired of this and they don't really want any more of, of some of these ups and downs, some people turn to astrology. Because now, through astrology, I'm going to learn where I'm going. See, I know where I'm coming from. Well, that's the trouble, they don't. But I know where I'm going, huh? With all the stars are going to tell me. Who knows where you're going? Huh? Really, who knows where you're going? And who knows what situation is going to arise next? And then other people, they look at their hands. Hmm, look at that. Hmm, got a long life and uh, different the hand than one that I was born with over here, you know, and I've got this line here and... Got a star over there? Sure. Yeah? It's like the woman who went to a gypsy to have her palm read. Yeah. I mean, she was into a new situation. And so she wanted to know the outcome. But she hadn't told anybody about the situation. So the gypsy looked at her hand and says, well, you're in love. You know? And the young woman was very surprised, you know. Gypsy coming right out and saying, well, you're in love because she had really not told anyone, you know. And then the gypsy goes on and says, the man you're in love with is six feet three. Exactly. Huh? <laughs> and the gypsy says, well, he has black hair and brown eyes. Unbelievable, huh? And the gypsy says, well, on his right thigh, he has a small mark of an old wound. Oh, now this is too much. You know, how could this gypsy, you know, know all these things? So she says, how can you know all this through my hand? And gypsy says, you know, who is knowing anything through your hand? The ring you're wearing was mine three years ago. <laughs> yeah. 
can we break identifications? Now, well, one can. It's a very simple method. You go back and relive the situations, some of them. And, you know, as you go back to try to relive some of your situations, others will crop out. You can do a great deal with yourself like this. Just at night, you close your eyes, and before you go to sleep, and you just let old situations rise. Just let them rise and relive them. Don't just sit there and remember them. In remembering something, you're standing quite aloof from it. You're, it's side by side with you. But if you relive it, you're in it again. Hmm? And then it comes, it, then you see, and you begin to understand what was going on. Yeah? Now many people go to therapy for this. But you can do a great deal of it yourself. Because it, it, just before you go to sleep, this is a nice quiet time, and everything is settling down, ready for you to become unconscious. And just before you come unconscious, you go through the subconscious. Hmm? So it's a very nice way of dealing with yourself. I did it long years ago. Hmm? It's a method of disidentification. Hmm? I found out some things that where I had hurt somebody, and I went out and rectified it. And there was still time. Disidentification. It gave me a freedom from this situation. Now, uh, in the East, they use the word samsara. That's the world. And samsara means wheel. Oh. Somebody once told me, I don't know if it's true or not, that the symbol of the Indian flag, national flag, symbol on it is a wheel. It is a wheel. Somebody told me right. Now, in Buddhism, they also speak of samsara. And Buddhism, of course, comes out of Hinduism. And the Buddha said, you're clinging to this wheel, going round and round and round. It's like a record, you know, round and round and round and round. You know, you're clinging to samsara on your projections, you know, and you're looking for nirvana in your projections, in this wheel. Hmm? Now, he, Buddha also said nirvana and samsara are not two. <coughs> hmm? Now, what did he mean by that? I'm not going to tell you that answer. That, you know, you could think around with yourself a little bit. Become aware of the clinging to the wheel, to the projections, and to become aware of your repeating yourself. You're repeating yourself. Repetition is an unconscious movement. So you become aware of yourself, and you don't act like a robot. See that, you know, that you get into a situation and you do this and you get into another situation and you do the same thing, you get into another situation and you do the same thing. Your thinking and feeling are always repeating. You get the same anger, the same feeling sorry, the repentance, and the same anger and the same feeling sorry and the same anger and the same feeling sorry. It's got to come to an end somewhere along the line, shouldn't it? So become conscious. You know, become aware of yourself in this existence. Otherwise, things are not going to be any different and you're not going to see this existence. You know, we all think I get into a situation and this time it's going to be different. You know? But you are not different. How can the situation then be different? Hmm? The same conditioning wandering through the situations, wondering why life is so miserable. Yeah. One of the greatest things you can do for yourself is to see your projections. Huh? Then you'll see how you do it, which is quite a thing in itself. How you do this thing. You can read about it in a book, but you can also see it, you know. You know, it, until you do, you know, you're going to be really frustrated because, you know, reality doesn't adjust to your projections. It doesn't, you know. How, how, why should reality adjust to your projections, the way you think and the way you feel? Has it ever? No. Well, who are you that you're so great that what really exists is going to adjust to you? Hmm? Such egotism. Yeah. We have to adjust to reality. You find reality, you adjust to it. Reality does not have to adjust to you. Not to what you think and what you feel. And so, not adjusting, we're in misery when things we say go wrong. We say go wrong. Nothing goes wrong. 
You start with some kind of a dream, some kind of a fantasy. And reality just doesn't accept your fantasy. Huh? That's all. And you're weeping and you're wailing that you can't have your own way. It's like little kids, you know, still having temper tantrums. You know, let's say I have a dream, and in the dream, you know, there's a big wall, and I see a door. Yep, I see a door in a wall. And so I start walking, and I'm going to go through this door in the wall. And I'm hurt. I bang up against it, and there's no door in the wall. And it's not that the wall is there to hurt me. Not at all. The wall is totally unconcerned. Hmm? If I see a non-existent door in the wall, which is what we do in our fantasies, in our dreams about how a situation should come out, if I try to go through a non-existent door, I'm going to be hurt. But, you know, I'm not going to let go of this fantasy. I really want it. Oh, I really want it, you know. And so I'm determined I'm going to get through this door. And what do I do? I wind up very battered and bruised. And I'm so miserable, you know. Yeah. Those who know, have come to know, reality cannot be changed. We can change our thinking, we can change our attitudes, and we can change our moods. That's all of our conditioning and our identifications about oneself. But the real you is unchangeable. If one can shift away a little bit from the conditioning or the identifications, then one can begin to see, oh, the door is really over there. It never was here in the first place. It's over there. And now with no effort, one just goes right through. Hmm? Yeah. You know, we live in reality. Reality surrounds us, reality created us, and we are reality. And so we are always at home. How often do you feel at home? Not often, hmm? Because we are caught in these identifications. You know, we were scrambling to get something up there. Hmm? That's a projection. So stop the dreaming. Just be, and be quiet, and you are at home. Hmm? So that's what today's story was about. Hmm? How projections affect you. This old man, he was born in Yen, but he grew up in Chu, and he decided he would return to his native country. And while he was passing through the state of Qin, his companions, and, you know, maybe there was nobody with him, his companions, huh, decided to play a joke on him. Pointing to a city, they said to him, this is the capital of Yen. And we know that it wasn't. But the old man started to think. He got very sentimental, you know. This is my country. Here I was born. And the fantasy and the dream started. He became very emotional, you know. Because, you know, if you think this is the way it is, why, that's the way it is. If you don't think it is the way it is, then that's the way it isn't. Hmm? Until you're suddenly brought up short. That this is the way it is. Hmm. Neither what you were thinking. You know, it's... There were a group of people had a large house, and they were living together. They, you know, like maybe eight people. And they, it was a big house, so they all had their bedrooms and so on connecting along the line, you know. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> one of the men that lived there used to grind his teeth at night, you know, gnash his teeth. Have you ever heard anybody gnash their teeth at night? My sister used to do it, so I know what he's talking about. Makes a noise, and you can hear it all over. So there was another man living in this house, and he used to play jokes with this thing. When, everybody, when anybody, anybody new would come to spend the night, you know, they had this spare room right next to the man who gnashed his teeth. And the newcomer would be told, if you hear something during the night, don't be frightened. Hmm? There was a man who used to live here, and he died during the war. 
He had recently been married to a very beautiful woman with only one eye, and she used to wear red clothes. She liked red. Now, this man was killed in the war, but the woman wouldn't accept this. She didn't believe it, so she waited and she waited and she waited, and she waited until she died. She still waits as a ghost. Whenever a new man comes, she thinks, oh, maybe this is my husband. Maybe he has come back. So we tell you this because if she comes, if it happens, you know, you may get scared. Hmm? She's never harmed anyone. She simply looks and finds out that this is not her husband, and she leaves. And by now the visitor says, <clears throat> and, <laughs> and how does one know that when this woman is in the room? Well, you will hear a very peculiar noise. You know, it's as if someone is grinding his teeth. Built <laughs> this whole thing up. You know, we do things like this, don't we? Yeah. Well, it so happened, you know, and they did this thing over and over and over again. But one night, a man came to visit, and he was a very educated man, you know. And anyway, he was told the same story. He didn't believe it. Why should he believe a thing like that? He didn't believe that anybody lived after they died. Why should he believe in ghosts? And after a while, they, they all went to bed. And about 12 o'clock that night, when all the lights were out and everybody was sleeping, there came this scream, you know. And they all rushed into this room, and they found that he had fainted, you know. And when they brought him around again, he said that woman was standing there in that corner, and she had a patch over her one eye, so I knew she only had one eye, and she was wearing this red gown, you know, and you know, petrified. He was petrified. You know, it was all just a joke in the beginning, but the time came when no one would go into that room. Hmm? And even though the man who crunched his teeth moved away, you know, they could still hear it. Yeah? Ghosts. So many ghosts existing, huh? Yeah. Doesn't depend on reality, it depends on your mind. Huh? How many ghosts are milling around out there? <laughs> uh, you know, how many ghosts? Huh? How are you dealing with them? Are you like this with them? So they'll never rise up? Or do you little by little let one or two come up and look at it in the face and say, oh, that's... <laughs> Does amount to hill of beans? Because it doesn't. Hmm? Anyway, this old man and his companion said, you know, this is the capital of Yen. And he composed himself, and he looked solemn. He was putting on a nice thing with his, what was going on in his mind, huh? And inside the city, they pointed out the shrine and the hut and the tomb, and he couldn't help but weep. Hmm? His companions had created a world for him. Yeah. They had given him this screen, and the projections came out. And then they said, we're only teasing you. And the old man was very embarrassed. Well, when you come to realize what you're doing to yourself, you're embarrassed. You know, how could I have done such a thing? Surely I'm smarter than that. You know, how could I have done such a thing? Well, life is playing tricks on me. No way. Life doesn't play tricks on you. Yeah? The tricks are played by your own mind. Yeah? You're thinking it was beautiful, and it was not. You're thinking it is ugly, and it is not. Huh? You're thinking this is to be achieved because it's so valuable, and it turned out to be worthless. And you're thinking this is not of any worth, and it turned out to be the most tremendous thing in the world. Hmm? We, you know, we like, we're living in chaos. Everything's topsy-turvy. Yeah. You know how we live? It's like our monk. I'm back to him again, you know. Late one night, you know, he's, he's coming down the street and he's playing a mouth organ, harmonica. Hmm? Yeah. And he was drunk. It's late at night and the village was all asleep so nobody could see him. Huh? But a policeman saw him. And a policeman stopped him and questioned him and finally arrested him. 
And he said to him, you're going to have to come with me. Sure, what do you want to sing? <laughs> you know? And the policeman dragged him to the, the station, you know. And he's standing there in front of the desk sergeant. He says, he was getting annoyed with this whole thing. He wanted to play the harmonica and sing, you know. And he says to this desk sergeant, where do you think I am? Why have you brought me here? You know, the desk sergeant says, you're here for drinking. Okay, when do we start? <laughs> you know? And in the morning, you know, he doesn't even remember anything about it. The little tricks of the mind, huh? And you don't need to be drunk to believe in your own interpretations, do you? Hmm? You know, who, who puts a check on your mind when it starts running off like that? Hmm? Who will tell you when your mind is playing tricks? Hmm? You. And the funny thing is, if you will listen, you know what you're doing to yourself. You have always known, but you don't want to pay any attention to it. The other looks better, seems better for the moment in this given situation, you know. It's, you know, it's like a man whose house is on fire, and he's, you know, weeping and wailing and carrying on, my house is on fire, and the neighbors are all gathered there watching it, and. One of the neighbors comes along and says, but you know, I was present yesterday when your son sold the house. It isn't yours anymore. It isn't? Oh, and all the tears disappear, you know, and he begins to enjoy the scene, just like all the rest of the spectators, huh? See? And then somebody else says, yeah, I heard they were talking about it, but there was some talk about selling, and there was some talk about buying, but I'm not sure it was decided, you know. Oh, and here comes the tears again, you know, and the beating on the chest, you know. My whole life's effort is going up in flame. And then the son comes along and says, everything is okay, I have the money. Oh, yeah, look at the tremendous fire. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Isn't that the way we are? Yeah. You know, this is your world. This is your life. What are you going to do with it? We have thoughts, and we weep, and we agonize, and we have thoughts, and we laugh, and we enjoy. We have thoughts, and we are happy. We have thoughts, and we are sad. And there is another way of looking. And this old man, when he reached Yen, and he really saw the capital, and the shrine of his quarter, and his father's cottage, and his father's tomb, he did not feel it so deeply. You know, he'd learned something from his companions out of his experience, and there was a little maturity. He felt, of course, feeling doesn't go, but it had a different quality to it. Hmm? The sentimentality was gone. A sensitivity had taken its place. It is a difference. In the sentimentality, he went to the old town. He thought he had been born there. With his sensitivity, he knew his father was not in the tomb. You know, they say a sensitive person serves. If someone needs him, he cares. He shares. What is the point of sitting down and joining in the crying and the wailing and the anguish? That doesn't help. If a person is sitting beside the road and weeping because he is hungry, if you sit down and it's at his side and you also weep, this is sentimentality. Your weeping will never bring any bread for him. That's sentimentality. Sensitive is something else, you know? Sensitive tries to find something to do to satisfy the hunger. You know, we have always, you know, they liken us, they... We read in esoteric books or whatever, whatever, you know, they, they, they say, we are very like water. We flow. We move. We can mold ourselves into all kinds of things. 
We can identify ourselves with all kinds of situations. We mold ourselves. We're like water. Huh? When water is heated to a boiling point, water disappears. Huh? It becomes something else. The quality of the water has changed. So we are like water. Disidentification becomes the heat, the fire, huh? to change the qualities, the looking, becoming non-involved in some of this, hmm? becoming mature. You know, the word pyramid, pyramid has three faces. You know, it's, it's a trinity. Pyramid means fire within. Three aspects, three faces. Huh? We are two. We are mind, body, soul. Huh? Looking within huh? comes a boiling point if you are observing. Hmm? And out of a non-identification rises this real you. It's that simple. We are seemingly separate one from another, and I thank you very much for coming. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.